Ramble. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. People think some huge trauma needs to happen before you can use therapy. But really, you can use therapy to get the tools before something bad happens. Visit BetterHelp.com run and learn some new things to help navigate life. Bada bing, bada boom. Welcome to this week's main episode of Rotten Mango. I'm your host, Stephanie Sue, And I'm your co-host, Mr. Mango. Wow, have you been practicing that one? <laughs> Came out smooth. Uh, we're talking about teachers today. What do you think teachers do in their free time? A kindergarten teacher, or maybe it's a high school teacher. You're sitting there in class, high school, you're bored out of your mind. You're taking your little notes and you look up and you're like, you know what? I wonder what freaking Mr. Smith does on the weekends. You, there has to have been a group of kids that giggled. I remember when I was in high school, they're like, what do you think they do? What do you think they wear outside of the classroom? Oh, and then all these people would be making jokes. What if they have these crazy swinger parties? You think the teachers just whoa, get together? Whoa. You think this teacher is wait, dating wait, this wait. <laughs> What? <laughs> what kind of school do you go to? Yeah, I don't know, okay? <laughs> so, that you know, these are kind of things that you wonder about. It almost feels illegal to run into a teacher at a Trader Joe's. But it's clear that these are just normal people. They have normal lives. And just like any of us, they have secrets. So that November of 2015, she was called into the principal's office. Now, the past couple of days, she's been called into the principal's office multiple times. What's going on here? Is this a reoccurring theme? But this was not a troublemaking little kindergartner. This was the kindergarten teacher. And she was a well-loved teacher. I mean, people loved her. She decorated her classrooms beautifully. She enjoyed her job. She had this short little bob of, you know, brownish, reddish hair. She was a mom. She had three kids. Exactly who you would imagine to be a kindergarten teacher. She had a soft voice. People said that she looked so young. You look like you're barely out of high school. But she's, you know, well into her 20s. So she walks into the principal's office and the police are waiting for her. We need you to come into the station because they suspect her. Of being a murderer they sit her down and they keep telling her listen we know who did it what more else do you need to know and she looked them straight in the eye and said i want to see the weapon i want to see the fingerprints on it i want to see where it stabbed her i want to see the pictures i want to see her dead body i want to see exactly how she was found what is wrong with you the victim's in her grave. She's been buried. She's been laid to rest after she's been brutally murdered. This is what the police are telling her, this kindergarten teacher. And she see- she keeps screaming at them. I don't want to see a video of them saying shit. I want to see a fucking video of them having sex with my husband. That's what I want. What? 
We're talking about a crazy kindergarten teacher. As always, full source notes are available at RottenMangoPodcast.com. There's a really good Dateline Secrets Uncovered episode on this, but there's an even better book on it, okay? I feel like nothing you watch on TV or any really podcast that you listen to can really top a book. Books are the ultimate deep dive into cases. It's called Wilder Intentions by C.J. Wynn. The author had grown up in North Dakota years before the murder took place. She's She was a writer, a blogger, always into truth crime decided to write a book i don't know if it was on a whim but i mean i think it translates really well there's a lot of emotion and unlike you know some other authors that you might read she's not overly obnoxious like she's not trying to make it complex and the most poetic she's so relatable that it just makes you feel like i know these people i know the victim i know all of these people involved and you start getting your your heart starts getting all torn up i mean this author i hope she writes more books it's so good she spent a ton of money traveling from arizona back to north dakota to interview police officers involved attorneys victims families and even went to prison to interview people she poured through literally every detail in the court documents i mean this is such a meticulously well-researched book i can't even believe that this is her first book like i can't so there's no way that we can do a deep dive on this case unless i do like a whole season for it (laughs) so this book is the best deep dive that you will need on this case and trust me you'll need it because it's it's a complex one now let's start with the people there's four major players involved and we got to talk about this weird kindergarten teacher first her name is cynthia fladeland but she goes by cindy this is going to be weird because my sister's name is cindy so cindy was born to a single mom by the name of roberta and when cindy was like less than a year old her mom gets married to a man by the name of eric and he's super sweet so cindy ends up growing up most of her childhood thinking well eric is my biological dad i have no other reason to believe you know that he's not This makes sense. This is our little family unit. It's going to be cute. They didn't have a lot of money, but Eric was working hard. He was putting in extra hours to feed the family, especially now that Roberta was pregnant with the second and then later a third child. It's like this big growing family. Now, here's the problem with Eric working all the time is the fact that the kids would spend most of their day with the mom, Roberta, who really didn't care for kids. Like she just, I mean, it just, she didn't really want them. They just happened. They're okay. She would spend most of her time watching TV, laying in bed, talking to her girlfriends, and she truly did not care, could care less about what the kids did in their free time. Didn't care what they ate, didn't care if they stuck a paperclip into the outlet, as long as they didn't interrupt her show. So you can go electrocute yourself, just don't scream. Like, that's fine by me. That was her only thing. (laughs) Meanwhile, when Eric comes home, he's, like, confused. Why is the house not orderly? Why is it not clean? Why aren't the kids doing their homework? Why isn't this happening? So the two parents would just start fighting nonstop. No, don't tell me how to parent. Like, just back and forth. So finally, they get a divorce. Roberta sits the kids down. Your daddy and I are breaking up. Okay? So the two younger kids, you guys can go see your dad if you want. Anytime you want. Just let me know. Cindy's like, well, wait, why can't I go see dad? I I love dad. I want to go see dad, too. Well, you don't have to because he's not your real dad. What? So this is how she finds out that Eric has not been her biological dad. And she's so confused. I mean, can you imagine this is how you tell like a little seven year old girl? She's like, what are you what are you talking about? Then who's my real dad? Why do Mm -hmm. I call him dad? She's so confused. And the mom's like, eh, it's just someone I had a one night stand with. What? This is what? So she would continue to ask for the next couple of years and Roberta did not care. She would just keep saying, I don't know, it's just a one night stand. Don't take it so seriously. 
And now that the mom was newly single, I mean, she would go out every single night. According to Cindy, she would sleep with any guy with a belt on. She neglected the kids. Cindy, being the eldest, she starts thinking, I got to step up to the plate. I got to act as a mother figure to my siblings. Otherwise, they're going to turn into like these crazy kids. And I don't want that. I don't want my siblings to get arrested and fall in with a bad group. She starts doing their laundry. She starts cooking for them. She starts monitoring what friends that they have. And she would say, no, no, don't hang out with John. He's a bad influence. Mm -hmm. And they hated her for it. They're like, if mom doesn't care, why do you care? You're not my mom. And this anger directed at her, she would just immediately throw it back onto her own mom. So Cindy starts resenting Roberta even more. And her only goal in life is to grow up and be the complete opposite of Roberta. Fork Roberta. That was her dream. So she starts working hard in school. Graduates high school. Top 10% of her class. She's working part-time to save up money. She's working at the Dairy Queen, you know. She buys a car for herself with no help. Wow. Which she later crashes. And when she's sent to the hospital, she tries calling her mom. She's got to get picked up. But her mom's too busy on a date and refuses to come pick her up. So she's (laughs) disgusted. She's like, yeah, she's really disgusted by her family. So she's trying to move out, working full time now at Dairy Queen. And that's where she meets her first real boyfriend by the name of Trevor. Now, Trevor was kind of the opposite of Cindy. She's bubbly. She's outgoing. I mean, yeah, she's had a rough life, but she's really personable. Trevor, on the other hand, he was a little bit insecure, a little bit shy, a little just like a big, big teddy bear. That's what people called him. And the fact that there was this real really pretty girl that would talk to him while they were at work are you kidding they constantly bonded over the fact that they were the best employees so anytime that they would have a shift together uh, the closers didn't mop the floors are you kidding who left the freezer why are these people so incompetent you know they would just bond over that and eventually they started dating and trevor knew all about her home life i mean his was the opposite he got along really well with his parents close enough that he even asked them listen mom and dad My girlfriend Cindy's going through a rough time. This is her home life. She's vulnerable. She's miserable. She caught her uncle doing drugs in her room. Yeah, she did. She just needs a safe place. I get it. We're teenagers. Can she move in with us? The parents are like, what? I mean, what are the neighbors going to think? What are her parents going to think? What if, like, I don't know, social services gets involved? This This is crazy. We don't even know this girl. So they meet Cindy and they just instantly fall in love. I mean, his parents were really nice people. They just felt so bad for her. They didn't feel like she just needed some guidance. Okay, well, you guys move into the basement. So they move on in and that's when all the strange things start happening. You know, this family has given her love, has given her housing and free food, right? They're feeding her every meal that she's eating with them. But she just starts judging them a little bit. She just hated the fact that the whole Trevor family was obese and that they always made. These are her words, not mine. okay? and they always made so much food. And whenever they went out to eat, they would order huge quantities of food. And it was embarrassing. Can you imagine saying that about the people that are feeding you for free out of the goodness of their hearts? Yeah. And you're like, they order too much food and it's embarrassing. Okay, then get out of here. Yeah, Get out (laughs) of here. (laughs) What are you saying? She hated the fact that Trevor had a social life. So anytime his little guy friends would come over, they'd play video games in the basement. She would go upstairs into the living room and just plop down on the couch and start sulking, like pouting in front of his parents. 
So they're pretty much over her at this point. Everyone thought, okay, it's going to be over by the time that, you know, college rolls around, semesters start. They're going to two separate colleges. They're just going to break up. Cindy has plans to go live in the dorms. It's all going to be okay. Just like push through this little summer, summer vacation. Mm-hmm. But nope, Trevor proposes. Trevor freaking proposes. So he said at the time that he was just so terrified that he would never find a girlfriend again. He was going through insecurities. He was depressed. He he felt like his obesity was stopping him from, you know, having a full life. Wow. And so he proposed. He said this was one of the biggest mistakes of his life because he didn't really love Cindy. They weren't really in love and they were so young. And Cindy, she said yes. Oh. And not because she loved Trevor, because you don't say that about, you know, someone you love and their family. But it was just because she wanted some stability in her life. So they get engaged in college and they get married. And almost immediately, Cindy starts cheating on him. Yeah. And the way that Trevor found out was really bad. After a huge party that she went to, the next morning, okay, she's waking up in her bed next to Trevor. She hops up in that shower and her phone's on the nightstand. Mm-hmm. And the beep text message comes in. Cindy's best friend texted her saying, I don't want to hear you complain about having a sore back anymore. Insinuating that her back is sore because, you know, she was doing some nasty stuff that night. Oh. And so Trevor sees it, confronts her about it, and he's heartbroken, but he's like, we can still make it work. Listen, I can forgive you. We can work on it. Why did this happen? Was it at the party? Did you drink too much? And she just had no interest. She said, and I quote, according to the book, I didn't care. At this point, he pretty much repulsed me. I had been doing everything to stay away from him, and it was a relief that he found out. So they get a divorce, and immediately she jumped at the chance of dating someone else, a bartender by the name of Matt Walters. Now, he's going to become important way later on in the story, but he had been arrested for robbing bars, and ironically, a bar had hired him to be a bartender. I don't know if they don't do background checks. I don't know if that's the appeal. Yeah, that's what got him the job. (laughs) That was like the first thing on his resume, okay? (laughs) So Cindy was immediately obsessed with him. She wanted to date him. She wanted him to be serious, but he had a girlfriend, and he just wanted occasional sex. Okay. So at this point, she's like moping around. This bartender doesn't want to date me, and she runs into this guy named Richie. They start hitting it off, but still, she can't stop thinking about Matt. Maybe I should bring Richie to the bar to make Matt jealous. Oh, yeah, that'll teach him. So she does that. Matt doesn't give a fork. He's like, okay, that's cool. I don't care. So she blocks Matt on Facebook and decides, well, I have no other choice. I'm going to settle for this guy named Richie. And he was nice. He had a he had a little daughter and a son at this point. They had these deep talks. Richie seemed like he was genuinely interested in Cindy and not just trying to sleep with her. Like the first night, for example, they have sex. The next morning, he wakes up and doesn't leave immediately. He actually goes to Home Depot, buys some tools, and fixes a small hole in her closet to stop the cold air from blowing in. That's nice. That's so sweet. So they really start bonding. And Richie's childhood, I mean, it was rough too. He was born into a broken home in Alabama, and his parents divorced when he was really young. He was close with his brothers. He just wasn't born in like a financially well situation. Whether it's true or not, he would brag to his friends all the time that he was working full time as a quote-unquote collector for the mafia. For reals or? See, we don't know because the mafia doesn't really like have like tax reports for their employees. W-2s. Darn it. (laughs) It's really hard to verify this information. So he he went to church on the weekends 
Everyone said that he's outgoing, he's funny, he's smart. So he meets his first wife, Angela, through church. She was a young single mom at the time. They fall in love. He adopts her daughter, and then they have a son together. So they move to North Dakota so that he can work in the military, right? This is all going to become important later. They're trying to make the family work, but of course, things don't go as planned. They end up getting divorced. It's pretty nasty. They have this huge custody battle. Now they share custody of the kids one week at a time. So Richie gets the kids one week, then she gets the kids, then back to him. But Richie didn't give up. I mean, he earned his certified nursing assistant certification, was working at a local hospital, That's when he falls in love with Cindy, the kindergarten teacher at the local elementary school. She's already a teacher? Well, she was in the process of, like, she was a teacher's assistant, and then, you know, she got a job. She actually only was a teacher's assistant for a year. Yeah, but, I mean, sometimes it takes, like, years and years. So she casually decides, okay, this guy, Richie, is the one I'm going to marry. Stop taking her birth control without telling him. And then they get pregnant with their own child. So that kind of forces him to propose, because he's a little bit religious. So they have their kid, and at first everything's great until it's not. Because Richie starts seeing another coworker by the name of Jennifer. This is my cousin's name. This whole story is weird. <laughs> okay, so Jennifer, and she's actively trying to get pregnant with Richie's baby. The mistress is actively trying. And they were so serious that they had recently started shopping for apartments to move in together. Everyone at work knew that Richie was married. So what's going on here? Well, Richie, first of all, had promised Jennifer that A, Cindy knew about their affair. B, he was leaving Cindy. And C, he was madly in love with Jennifer and only Jennifer. He never told Jennifer that he was sleeping with a phlebotomist down the little hallway named Joanne. What's going on, Richie? Yeah. I was rooting for him. And that his wife thought that they were happily in love. Oh, and on top of that, he was having another affair with a woman that lived in his hometown in Alabama. So when he wasn't cheating on his wife with his mistress, he was cheating on his mistress with another mistress and then another mistress on top of that. And this guy has three kids and works a full-time job. I don't understand. (laughs) (laughs) We later find out that when he's not doing all of that, he spends a good amount of time Googling pictures of Asian women and watching Asian porn. So this this feels risky. What if Jennifer does get pregnant? What are you going to do, Richie? Are you going to leave your wife and your kids? What's going to happen then? No, no. He's smarter than that. He's got this elaborate lie ready to go. He had been planting the seeds for months at this point. Every day from work, he'd say, you know, Cindy, the woman at work, it's a crazy thing. I mean, if you're not comfortable with it, I totally get it. But a lot of them are single. They just can't find good guys out there. There's just no good men anymore. But they're all getting older. and They want babies. And I don't know what it is about me, but they just seem desperate. To have some great southern DNA in them. And they, they said that they're willing to buy my sperm. You know, I, I, I get it. It's weird. It's weird. I totally get it if you don't want it. But it's a lot of money. We could use it. Huh. Yeah, they want to buy my sperm. I know. I, I Just think about it, okay? Oh, and by the way, I have this coworker by the name of Jennifer. And we're actually starting a business together. And I might need to sign a lease to get a place to operate our business out of. So just a heads up. He was setting all of this up. So <laughs> and 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 um Cindy believed Cindy w- it. Wow. She never really asked questions, I guess. She was just like that makes total sense. You've got the best DNA ever. You know? I mean, who wouldn't want your DNA? <laughs> 
if you guys keep up with me on any social media platform, you know that in my free time, practically the only thing that I do in my free time is I love either listening to, watching, reading thriller novels, mystery novels. And I love when they're based on true crime events because it just merges two of my favorite things, psychological thrillers and true crime. So this one in particular is, oh man, it's a it's a doozy. A series of murders sweeps the Midwest, bodies drained entirely of blood. The only suspect, though, is a 15-year-old girl, Marie Catherine Hale. But who is she? An accomplice, a murderer, or a victim? Marie only agrees to confess everything to Michael, an aspiring journalist. But it's up to Michael to uncover the truth. How did one girl wind up in the middle of all these bodies? This book is inspired by the real-life crimes of a teenage spree killer, Charlie Starkweather, and the latest novel from the number one New York Times best-selling author of the Three Dark Crown series, which I loved, by the way, by Kendara Blake. Start reading All These Bodies, a dark true crime-inspired thriller now. You can read it alongside me. Brought to you by by Epic Reads and HarperCollins Publishers. Pre-order your copy of All These Bodies by number one New York Times best-selling author Kendara Blake now. Or get it on sale September 21st. Available wherever books or audiobooks are sold. So Friday the 13th rolls around, November of 2015. Cindy has the kids for the week, right? Richie and Cindy have Angela's kids and their own child. So they've got three kids right now. Mm -hmm. So she's dropping them off at school when she sees right across the street from the elementary school a huge crime scene. A tiny little one-story white house has been taped off. Police presence everywhere. People in hazmat suits. I mean, this is a shit show. This is in North Dakota in a small town called, uh, well, I don't know if it's that small, but it's called Minot, I believe. There's just not that much crime it's just this is right in front of an elementary school on top of that these are some of the most highly policed areas is right in front of schools so it just doesn't make sense something bad must have happened but it wasn't just any house it was the house of her husband's ex-wife angela so before she heads into her kindergarten class for the day she picks up the phone and she says hey richie do you think something happened there's a lot of police outside your ex-wife's house Ah, don't worry about it. She probably got into it with her husband. I'm sure it's fine. So she says, oh, okay. Grabs her coffee and goes into work and starts teaching these little kids the ABCs. Just a cute little kindergarten teacher. So what's going on in the house? Angela, after Richie, she had a new fiance by the name of Christopher Jackson. And they have this two-year-old son together. It's like this cute little family. Now, this week in particular, she didn't have the two kids with Richie. They were with Cynthia and Richie, right? So she only had her two-year-old son. And November 12th of 2015 was just a normal day. She had dropped off Chris at his overnight shift at Walmart, kissed him goodbye. I'm going to see you soon. You know, she's going to pick him up at 7 a.m. when they would come back home. And then she would start studying for her nursing degree. So it's going to be a very low-key night. So Chris goes into a shift and he gets a text message. It's Angela. And she's terrified. She thinks someone is outside the house. I hear noises. It sounds like someone is trying to jiggle to open the door. I don't know what to do. So, okay, this is really alarming. But Angela is a pretty paranoid person. She even sleeps with the bedroom door locked when he's at work. So he's thinking, okay, it's fine. She's so diligent about making sure that all the doors are locked. He wasn't that worried. They live right in front of an elementary school. Their neighbors are so close to their house. I mean, it just... There's no way someone's trying to jiggle open your door, right? So he texts her back and he's like, it's fine. It's probably just the neighbor being loud. Don't worry about it. 
listen, I'll call you during my breaks and I'll call you during my lunch break, which is around like, you know, two in the morning. Mm -hmm. Okay. So midnight rolls around. Chris calls Angela and she says, yeah, I put the kid to bed and now I'm studying. I'm so nervous about this nursing exam that I've got coming up. Like, I don't know what to do. And he's like, okay, well, just, just take it easy tonight. Two hours later, they talk again. This time, Chris is telling her, encouraging her, like, just get some sleep. I'll wake you up at the next break and you can get back to studying. Just take like a quick little two hour nap. Three hours later, Chris tries to call, but she's not picking up. So he sends a cute little text message instead that says, I'm glad you're getting some rest, sweetheart. I'll see you in a few hours. Love you. It sounds just so normal. He finally finishes up his shift. So ready to go home, okay? But now, now that he's outside, Angela's not there. Okay, that's fine. Let me call her. But she's not picking up her phone either. That is so strange. And he's confused. Am I supposed to be annoyed because now I'm stranded at work? Or am I supposed to be concerned because it's just not like her to do this? Mm -hmm. Okay, you know what? Let's cut her some slack. She's barely getting sleep from nursing school. She's pregnant, the early stages of pregnancy. He, she tried to hide it from him, but he found out, okay? She wanted to surprise him after her first trimester. She's taking care of their two-year-old son. She's probably just knocked out. So he hops into a taxi, starts the 10-minute drive home, and it was just it was just one of those days where nothing was going right. So the taxi driver wasn't listening to him, parked the car in the neighbor's driveway instead. And he's like, it's, it's fine. Let me just get out. It's just my house is right next door. So he gets out of the car. And now that he's standing in his neighbor's yard, he decides to be cute. So they live in this one-story house, and he's practically standing outside their bedroom window. So he starts tapping on it. You know, the curtains are drawn so he can't see inside, but he starts tapping. Wakey, wakey. And she's going to wake up, open the curtain. Oh, shoot. I forgot to pick you up. And it's going to be this cute little moment. He's like, it's fine. I got a taxi. And he'd make fun of her for breakfast over it, you know. But instead, it's dead silent. And he glances at the driveway. Well, her car's still there. Now, this is when I think he's so smart because I don't know why I wouldn't think to do this. He rushes over and touches the hood with the back of his hand. It's really cold. Mm -hmm. Okay, so she didn't get into her car recently. She's home for sure. Okay, that's weird. She's not a heavy sleeper. And he rushes to the side door and that's when he freezes. The door is wide open. Now, this is November in North Dakota. It's cold. This is a small house. It's a small one-story house. That cold air is just blowing into this house. There's no way that she wouldn't have noticed this. And even worse, the door looked like it had been kicked in. Like, it, it's damaged. It's not just like she unlocked it and then the wind blew it open. So he starts screaming for his family. No answer. So Angela's in there, but so is their two-year-old son. Mm -hmm. And as he's about to step into the house, something stops him. And he rushes back out and calls 911. My door is kicked in. My fiance's not answering the phone. My son is inside with her. And I, I don't know. I'm about to go in and see what the fork is going on. And they said, listen, listen, calm down. Why don't you just wait for the officers? I'll get them over there ASAP, just a few blocks away. Is he worrying about someone inside or? See, that's the what scene? the police are a little bit skeptical of later. Okay, I see. So when the officers arrive, now they're saying, well, we can't let you in. So it's a crime scene. We looked at the door. It looks bad. It looks like a break in or it looks like forced entry for sure. So we're going to go in. You stay outside. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now the, the police, their priority was clear. Their main priority was make sure the kid is found, make sure the kid is safe. This two-year-old boy, that's their main priority. The living room, the Wait, kitchen. they don't care about the wife? Usually they put kids first. Okay. So their first thing is not even to clear the house, but it's really to find the kid. 
So they're like, we got to get oh. this kid. Okay. So, I mean, the living room, the kitchen, it was completely orderly. It was so close to Thanksgiving, actually. Everything had been decorated with these fake fall leaves. I mean, this was just like the cutest decorated house. Angela, they did not have a lot of money, but they had a lot of love. Like they had so many family photographs and all the frames said like family on there. And it was it was just beautifully decorated. They had a Thanksgiving tablecloth on their dining table. There were no signs of a struggle inside. No signs that a burglar went through to find valuables. Like none of this is adding up with the forced entry door. Like it just this is Thanksgiving peacefulness at its best. So they walk into the hallway. Open the first door on the left, and they see a little crib in the corner. They quietly walk inside, holding their breath, and they walk up and see a two-year-old boy peacefully sleeping. So they scoop him up, they rush him outside, they have to clear the rest of the house, right? But um, they realize that the other main bedroom is locked. Chris gives them consent to kick it in. When they kick it in, they realize the room is different here. There's some sort of struggle. There's pillows thrown all over the room. The bed comforter was sliding down one side. The bed was a mess, but it was empty. The curtains were closed, so once they turn on the light, that's when they see just pools of blood. Lots of blood. Just on the comforter, down the sides of the mattress, on the ground. And one of the officers looked at another and they said, and I quote, according to the book, this is not good. And then they saw Angela. She was laying on the ground next to the bed, wedged between the bed and the wall, and she was cold to the touch. There was no color. The book states that she looked like she was looking down at her body. So her eyes were half open, facing downward. So it looked like she was almost eerily looking at what had been done to her. So the police, they call in the paramedics. And now Chris is outside. He's freaking out. Yeah, he's got his son. But why didn't you bring out my fiance? Why can't I go inside? Where's Angela? Why isn't she coming outside? Why are there paramedics here? Why are you not bringing her out? What's wrong with her? Say something. The officers had to get physical so that Chris didn't run into this active crime scene. So they're like, we got to get him out of here, right? The police rush Chris and their son to the station. Meanwhile, the paramedics have bad news. Angela had no pulse. She had been likely dead for hours. So just 24 minutes since Chris got home, she was pronounced dead. And they bring her in to be autopsied. Now the belief was that she was in the safety of her own bed when the killer or killers came into her room, started attacking her, stabbing her. She fought back hard. She was dragged off the bed where she continued to fight and some of her nails had been ripped off. She had blood all over her thighs, but on her underwear, there was a blood swipe that looked exactly like a knife. And they were confused, but then they realized, oh my God, the killer had wiped the knife, both sides of it, on her underwear, like you would on a kitchen towel. And she was wearing the underwear, right? Yeah. Wow. She had been stabbed all over her back, her shoulders, her neck. It looked like the killer was trying to target a specific area, but missed. The stab wounds were all clustered together, caused massive internal injuries. A lot of them were fatal. She would have bled out within minutes. She had been stabbed over 44 times. The only part of her body left without stab wounds was her stomach, where they were able to find the beginning stages of a pregnancy. Now, Chris is brought in immediately for questioning, and the police are a bit confused about this whole story because they're just thinking, okay, let's be realistic. There is nothing in the world that would have stopped me from going into that house before I even called 911. Before even the police got there. Like, I can't just wait around on the curb. Are you kidding? When your wife and your son are in there, why didn't you go inside? 
Yeah. Did you already maybe know what you were going to find? Is that why? And he said, no, something in my stomach told me not to. Even when your child is in there and your fiance is in there. I know it seems hard to understand, but my mind, <laughs> I was just wondering if both of them were gone or worse. So he's think- saying like, I thought that they were dead and I didn't think that I should see that. So they're like, okay, well, we got to check your alibi because this is all seeming very suspicious. I mean, this usually it's the husband. So we got to we got to call Walmart. Maybe you left during your lunch break. Maybe you killed her. Maybe you didn't even show up to work. How do we know that this story is true? How do we know you didn't just run to Walmart, get a taxi and drive it back home to get an alibi? We got to know all of these things. So they leave him alone in the police room and he pulls out his phone and he calls his sister-in-law, Crystal. So this is Angela's sister. Uh-huh. And he starts screaming. Richie is probably the fucking piece of shit who did it. God, I fucking hope they piece it to him. I fucking hope so. Now, the police are listening to this. So they're like, okay, well, we got to bring in this Richie guy. Who, who the heck is this Richie guy? So they talk to all of Angela's family all over the country at this point. Some of them were living in Florida, Texas, you know, mm-hmm. and they all stated that Richie was the suspicious one. Christopher could never have done something like this. He's a giant teddy bear. Richie, on the other hand, is a big POS. That's like the only thing that all of them agree on. Richie is a piece of shit. Okay, well, let's bring in the Wilders. So his name is Richie Wilder. And it's going to get wild, okay? When they bring in Richie, I mean, this guy is nonchalant. He's only like 28 years old, but it seems like he has no fear in life, okay? In the station, doesn't seem worried, doesn't seem scared, just another Tuesday. And they start coming in hot and heavy with these mind games. The detectives that were working on the case were interviewed for the book, but they said that they would sit right in front of Richie so that they could stretch their legs once in a while and completely invade Richie's personal space. That was a mind brain, like a mind tactic that they played. They would jot down notes. Sometimes they would just scribble random stuff. And if they weren't doing that, they would stare straight into Richie's soul, never blinking, never looking away. And it worked because he went from being so nonchalant to super nervous. He was bouncing up and down. He kept, you know, slipping his feet out of his sneakers and back in and out. He started talking so fast that all of his words started mushing together. They kept asking Richie, do you know why you're here, Richie? Uh, probably something to do with my ex-wife. My wife was dropping off the kids at the school right across from her house, and she said that there was crime scene tape. And then I, I think I saw an article on Facebook about some sort of death. Well, Did you look into it? Did you ever try to find out if maybe, I don't know, the mother of your children was okay or if she had died? Um, no. So the police actually were able to take his phone and pull up reports later. They later find out that during this time, instead of looking at if his the mother of his children was alive or not, he was masturbating for hours to Asian pornography. So like you didn't think to look into it at all? And he said, No offense, but my ex-wife, I mean, I just assumed she was playing games. I was kind of expecting to get a phone call or the cops coming to my house to accuse me of something or like investigate something. Does that make sense? He did that a lot. He would like ramble and end it with a, does that make sense? And the police aren't there to be nice conversationalists, okay? So, of course, the detectives would sit there and say, no, it doesn't. You have to explain it to us. So right now, in deep detail, it honestly was making things so much worse. Uh because now they're like no it doesn't explain it all over again in detail this time he's like well they thought that she had borderline personality disorder angela who is they yeah does Uh, that make sense does that make sense 
uh, social services and church people. Does that make sense? <laughs> but there was no evidence to support this claim. So they're like, okay, well, tell us why you or they would think that she had borderline personality disorder. I mean, we just had different parenting styles. Like, she was more manipulative with the kids. Okay, well, give us an example. Um, like yesterday, our daughter told me that Angela told her that my current wife is stalking her. That my current wife would sit outside of her workplace and when she gets out, she would flick her off and then speed away from the parking lot. And I, I sat down and I used logic to explain to my child what's not possible because mommy and your other mommy have the same work schedule. So there's no way that Cindy could make it to Angela's place in time to stalk her. Now, the police thought that this was bizarre because Angela wasn't working when she was murdered. She hadn't worked in close to a year. <gasps> She'd been focusing on getting her degree. Wait, so the Angela is not working at the kindergarten? No, no, Cindy. Oh, Cindy is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. So they're like, okay, this is weird. Why would she bring that up yesterday if maybe Angela had said that a year ago? I mean, I just don't understand. The police are just confused. Why are you bringing this up? None of this is making sense. So they just straight up ask him, do you know anyone that would want to hurt your ex-wife, Angela? And he just kept saying, well, she's hard to get along with. She likes to threaten people. If they don't like you or agree with you or, you know, she would threaten them. I'm going to get your kids taken away. I'm going to sue you. Does that make sense? Like he's painting a really intense picture of Angela, but it couldn't be further from the truth. So the police are like, we got to find out what's going on here. Who is Angela? So Angela's childhood, she was born to a Tony and Linda Small, and she had this older sister by the name of Crystal, who was only a year older than her. So really, they were like twins growing up more than anything. They looked so similar. They could honestly pass off for identical twins. <laughs> and it was just the beginnings of this cute little family. Till out of nowhere, Linda, their mom, divorces Tony and wants to raise the kids by herself. And a couple years later, she meets a man by the name of Russ, who becomes their stepdad, but really like a full-on dad, okay? He really raised them like his own. And it was so cute, he actually waited for the girls to be old enough to sit them down and say, is it okay if I marry your mommy? And they gave him permission. And on top of that, Linda was like, no way in hell are you ever adopting my babies. So he still, I mean, he did everything with them. He raised them. He took them to church. They were really religious, strong in their Mormon faith. They would go to church every Wednesdays and Sundays. The girls led youth group activities. And Angela really did everything by the book. She was considered the brains of the family. She was also really pretty. She had this wicked sense of humor. She was sweet. She always made honor rolls. She played in the marching band. She was religious. So in high school, I mean, all these guys are like, oh, my God, I want to date you, Angela. And she was so picky. She's like, no, I don't want to date anyone unless they are as determined, as motivated as I am. I mean, she was ambitious. She wanted to be a pediatrician when she grows up. And everyone's like, whoa, whoa, that's not a good idea. There's no way you can do that. You love children so much. Can you imagine seeing sick children every day? And she told her sister, and I quote, Crystal, if I can just make one of them smile, it would all be worth it. 
I have a confession to make. After living in California for about seven years, uh, moving to the East Coast, I don't even have one jacket that can withstand maybe like 50 degrees. So pretty much my fall and winter wardrobe is non-existent at this point. And I'm getting a little bit stressed. I need to I need to get all these sweaters. I need to get jackets because I'm going to be so cold. I'm going to be freezing. And I don't want to spend a ton of money. And my favorite place to go when I'm feeling like, ooh, I need to I need to spice me up in my wardrobe. I need something new or something fresh. Maybe I need something for work is ThreadUp, one of the world's largest online thrift stores. And it makes thrifting so easy and convenient. And you also get up to 90% off of estimated retail prices. That's kind of crazy. You can shop from over 35,000 brands of women's, kids' clothing, handbags, shoes, and more for a whole lot less. Like, I've been getting some insane deals from thrifting with the convenience of online shopping. Like, I'm talking Zara for $6, Madewell, J. Crew from $9, or Nike from $6. And you can get an extra 30% off your first order at threadup.com slash rotten. It's never boring there. They always have new arrivals every minute. There's something new to discover and it's so easy. You can customize your search by size, style, budget so you find the best deals instantly. Like I've mentioned so many times before and I'm always shocked every time. I don't know why, but all of my pieces, they come in such a high quality condition and a lot of them come with their tags still on. And I'm like, wait, what? They're delivered straight to my door. There's an easy return policy so it makes thrifting completely worry-free for me. And did you know thrifting keeps clothes in circulation and out of landfills so it's retail therapy for the planet get the styles that you love at a fraction of the price you'll look and feel good with thread up and for rotten mango listeners here's an exclusive offer just for you get an extra 30 percent off your first order at threadup.com slash rotten that's t-h-r-e-d-u-p.com slash rotten for 30 percent off your first order threadup.com slash rotten for an extra 30 percent off today terms apply That's how ambitious she was. Now, there's always that one person that doesn't re- meet the requirements, but you like, can't help but love them. And that guy was Christopher Jackson. I know this is all going to make sense in a second, okay? So he was the shy guy in school. A lot of people were intimidated to talk to him because he was pretty big. Like, he was a tall dude. So they just called him a giant teddy bear. Once you got to know him, he was just so sweet. And he was head over heels for Angela. Thought that she was the prettiest girl that he had ever laid eyes on. And in true high school fashion, he decided, I gotta marry her. So they start dating. And at first, it's amazing. But then later, Angela is like, why aren't you getting good grades? What's going on? What do you want in life? What are your future plans? And he just had no answers. I mean, he's like a high school kid. He's like, I'm just going with the vibes. Just playing some video games. What do you mean? So then she would break up with him. And he'd beg her. He'd be like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start getting my grades together. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this for you. And they would get back together. And then they would, he would go back to his ways. And they would officially break up again. And it was just nonstop, back and forth. Finally, they head off to different colleges. They're broken up for good. Angela was actually awarded a full medical scholarship to the University of South Alabama. But in 2004, while she's in college, she ends up getting pregnant with a baby, um, with a guy that she really wasn't serious with. Mm -hmm. And there was just a lot of problems with this. First of all, she was young. And second of all, the scholarship strictly didn't allow any of their recipients to either get married or have children during, you know, receiving that scholarship. Wow. So she's devastated. She has to leave college. She can't afford it anymore. But she wanted to be a mom. So she's so excited. She's like, okay, you know what? Maybe I don't have to be a doctor. I can still go to nursing school and make a difference 
it really wasn't about the title for her. Now, her boyfriend at the time decides to propose. They get married while she's eight months pregnant. They give birth to a daughter, and she's she's smitten. Angela loves this baby. I mean, she really shined through as a mom. She was so attentive. She's doting on this child. Her new husband, on the other hand, did not care for kids. Did just It was bad. It was speculated that he was going out to cheat on Angela while she worked hard being a young mom, but she also called the police on him. Often, there were allegations that he abused her during like the two years that they were together. So they get a divorce. He didn't even care to get custody. He was like, you take it. I don't care. I mean, can you imagine the stress of this situation? But Angela, as always, she was determined. She's like, I'm going to make it work. I don't care. She goes back to church, applies for nursing school, starts arranging play dates with other young moms, starts building this like support system for herself, starts reconnecting with old friends again. And that's when she realizes Christopher Jackson, the love of her high school life, hadn't even graduated high school, was still living with his mom, didn't have a job. She was so disappointed. You know, this she really loved him. The only thing that didn't match is he didn't check off those boxes of being determined and ambitious like her. While she's feeling all this anger and disappointment of like, how can you not get it together for me? Like you promised me in walks an old church friend by the name of Richie Wilder. And wow, he grew up to be handsome. Um, sure. He was doing well in life. He was ambitious. He, he also was trying to get a nursing degree and they start hitting it off. And Richie immediately starts treating her daughter like his own. And she was so impressed. But her friends started noticing some strange things. She seemed happy, but she just never had time for them anymore, which is common. You get into a relationship, you spend more time with your partner than your friends. But mm-hmm. anytime that they did hang out, Angela just seemed like she wasn't opening up anymore. She seemed really guarded, seemed like she had a lot of secrets, just didn't want to ta- talk about her own personal life. That was bizarre because all they did back then was talk about their personal lives. And then there were the, the bruises. What happened, Angie? I, I just fell the other day. They didn't really believe her, but she kept insisting, no, I fell. So what can they do? I mean, they were worried that if we push her too hard, we might push her away for good. Mm-hmm. Then what's going to happen if she might need us, you know? And now Richie proposed. So they're thinking, okay, well, maybe we're being dramatic. Maybe we're reading into things. Maybe she's happy. I mean, why would she, why would she accept his hand in marriage? So they get married and Richie legally adopts Angela's daughter. So again, everyone's like, okay, fingers crossed. We're probably wrong. And that is when Richie says, we're moving all the way from Alabama, where we've got our family, all of our friends, our support system to North Dakota, because I want to join the Air Force. And Angela, I mean, she supported her husband. So she's like, "Okay, I know nobody there. (laughs) I hate winters, but let's do it. She's so excited for him. And the fact that she found out that she was in the early stages of a pregnancy, she's like, this is going to be great. Right. We're going to have she comes from a military background, too. So she's like, we're going to have this great little military family. And so after giving birth to her second child, their son, that's when everything starts changing. Richie starts calling Angela fat. Why are you eating that? Don't you think you're fat enough? Why are you wearing that? And he would say, and I quote, you're not good enough to be seen with. You're embarrassing me. Wouldn't even let Angela go to church because he didn't like the way that she looked that day. And he said it was embarrassing to walk into church with a girl like that. Oh, my God. Now, you have to remember that Angela doesn't have a support system in North Dakota. So and on top of that, there was family drama back at home in Alabama. This is kind of important. Out of nowhere, Angela's mom had divorced their dad Mm -hmm. and announced that she was gay. 
and was marrying a woman by the name of April. Now, the part that really bothered a lot of the family was that it seemed pretty obvious that their mom had been having an affair. Does it matter that it was affair with a woman? No. I mean, it's like their dad was devastated. He was heartbroken. He was blindsided. He realized that he had been cheated on for most of his marriage. It doesn't make anything better, right? Mm -hmm. So there was just a lot of this drama, and Richie would just constantly make fun of her for it. What? Yeah. Like, if she would say something, he'd be like, you're so weird. Do you get it from your mom or something? Wow. Just, like, insinuating, like, they have this weird family, which, honestly, what's weird about that? I get it. Affairs are bad. But other than that, what's weird, Richie? Let's talk about it, you homophobe. And then it started escalating. Angela started reporting that Richie would throw her up against a wall, hold her by the neck, and would constantly tell her, do you know how easily I can kill you? All it would take is a shovel and two bags of lye. So in 2011, Richie files for divorce, claims that Angela was the abusive one. He claimed to the court, I saw Angela beating our daughter right after we got married. I was horrified, but Angela threatened to cancel the adoption. And I thought, well, if I adopt the daughter, maybe it'll be better for the daughter. I'm just this, this loving, caring dad just swooping in, right? Angela was increasingly becoming paranoid and crazy. That's what Richie kept saying. She would call the kids names like stupid, idiot, you little brat. You're so stupid. Sometimes we'll be walking through the park and Angela out of nowhere would just slap the kid across the face as hard as she could and would say that will teach you about interrupting people. Not only did Richie file for divorce in the court system, but he told his sergeant on base, on the Air Force base, of the abuse. So they alert CPS, and Angela was kicked out of the house, banned from seeing her kids. She had nobody in North Dakota. So she starts getting desperate. She would call Richie's military higher-ups, like, why are you guys doing this? He's the one that's abusing me. You don't understand. And they wouldn't believe her. So, I mean... Can you imagine? She's got nobody. Her kids have been taken away from her. So she would start crying like any other mom would. Would start screaming because she'd be emotional and desperate. You're ruining my life. You don't get it. Mm -hmm. But these military higher-ups saw that emotion and said, Well, Richie was right. You really are freaking crazy, huh? And it confirmed in their minds that Richie was telling the truth. She was a hysterical, crazy woman. That was or abusing those, the kids. Or those higher ups are corrupted too. Yeah, like they're right? just nasty. It gets who worse. Knows? So even though anyone who actually knew the couple would realize how false these allegations were, Angela had always been a loving, doting mom. It just they didn't care. The court had to follow through. They had to investigate. And finally, Richie dismissed the divorce proceedings and let Angela come back home to her kids. Less than a year later, he files for divorce again. And this time he claims this is his story. Well, Angela had found a, a phone number of one of my ex-girlfriends in my phone. And she was pissed, thought that I was cheating on her. And I said, no, Angela, I would never cheat on you. And she said, well, let me slap you then. Let me just get it out of my system. Let me slap you. Okay, being the tough Air Force man that I am, I'll lay on the bed and you can just slap me on the face. So she gets on top of him, but instead of slapping him, she allegedly puts a pillow on top of his face and starts punching him as hard as she can repeatedly now richie puts his hands up as self-defense and then decides you know what she's gonna smother me with this pillow she's gonna choke me she's gonna kill me so he decides to choke her until she passes out as self-defense nobody reports this a few weeks later she allegedly tried to scratch his face and so what does he do he choked her till she passed out as self-defense the fact that he had just the 
audacity to even say that this is self-defense or like put it into paper is just beyond me is choking self-defense you know it's a long yeah, process it's a long process like you would think to just throw them off of you and then run get right, away right right but this time she had passed out for too long and he was worried so what does he do does he take her to the hospital? Does he call the paramedics? No! He starts slapping her as hard as he can repeatedly on the face back and forth until she wakes up. Yeah, he, like he he had the audacity to tell his military higher-ups about this. He was like, oh yeah, and this the is the higher-ups like, yep, I would do that too. They're like really great self-defense skills. Did you learn that here on base? Because we got to start teaching that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like in shock. I don't even have the words, right? Now, Angela's story was very different. She said that she wasn't paranoid that he was cheating. She knew that he was cheating. One time, she had walked up to their bedroom door, and it was closed. And just as she's about to turn the knob, she heard him say, I love you, on the phone. So she's like, what? And he comes out, and she says, who were you on the phone with? Oh, no, I wasn't on the phone. I was just praying. I don't, I don't believe you. Now, Angela had already suffered abuse from this guy so she's thinking i don't want this to escalate into a fight i just want to get out of here i want to get some fresh air i just i want some time alone and he gets pissed grabs her by the throat drags her around and says i just got my wife back so this is when she had come home from the first divorce remember he was mm -hmm. like oh i'll let you come back yeah now i feel like i'm losing her again and then punched a hole in the wall of the laundry room now she had been taking antidepressants because he, the court forced her to like do these therapy sessions so that she could be quote unquote less abusive or whatever. So she's taking these antidepressants and he starts blaming her medicine. You heard me wrong because of your medication. So he forces her to watch him flush all of them down the toilet. A few days later, Angela's getting the bath ready for the both of them. And she's like, ooh, maybe the water is a little too hot. I'm going to go downstairs, ask Richie how hot he wants the water. And that's when she notices a phone on the counter but richie's on the phone too so it immediately connects in her head this guy's got a second phone this guy has another phone why would he need another phone mm -hmm. it's not like a military phone why do you have another phone so she confronts him and he says okay okay i'll tell you the truth i bought a prepaid phone so i can improve my credit what that doesn't make any sense okay okay you're right let me tell you the real real truth but here come sit on my lap so she sits on his lap and she's confused and he opens up that f like second phone, starts scrolling through it, showing her pictures of another woman and she recognizes her. That's your ex-girlfriend. Why are you texting your ex-girlfriend and why are you showing me so blatantly that you're talking to your ex-girlfriend? And he says, OK, well, this girl, let's call her Karen. This girl, Karen, she hurt me so bad when we were dating. You remember that? She was um. Richie likes to call every girl in his life like psychotic and crazy. She was psychotic. She was crazy. She probably had borderline personality disorder. That was another thing Richie did was every woman in his life had some sort of mental illness diagnosis that didn't exist. But like he knew because he doesn't even have a psychology degree. But he's like, I know. OK, yeah, she was crazy. So it's my time to get back at her. I'm texting her. And pulling her into my trap. I'm pretending to love her. Pretending I'm going to leave you for her. So that she falls back in love with me. And I'll rip the rug out from right under her. This is all to just break her heart. Starts showing her the text messages. He's calling her sweetheart. Saying things like, I love you. You're the world to me. I can't wait to see you in March when I'm back in Alabama. To make it worse, Angie realizes that he had plans to go back in March for his brother's wedding. Mm -hmm. So she's so uncomfortable. And she says, I just... 
I don't like it. He says, okay, okay, you're right, you're right. I'll break it off with her. I'll even rip up the divorce papers in front of you so that we never get a divorce again. Okay, does that sound good? Okay. But then a few days later, a flower shop calls Richie to confirm his delivery to Karen. A flower delivery. Why are you sending flowers to Karen? And he says, to make her fall more in love with me. I thought we talked about it. So after days of this, I mean, she's just getting so frustrated. Angela's like, okay, I don't even know what to do. I don't like this. I'm so frustrated. I want to leave you. But at the same time, I, we have kids. Like, what? Do, can I just slap you? You know, she's like at the end of her road. She's like, I am so desperate. Like, I just, I'm so angry. But like, do I have the right to be angry? Because what if you're saying is true? I mean, it's like really weird and bizarre and pretty petty. But like, what do I do? So he's like, okay, yeah, do it. So she slaps him lightly across the face three times but immediately she's like what am i doing (laughs) like this is ridiculous she's apologizing she feels horrible and without saying anything richie pulls his fist back and punches her straight in the face so she makes a run for the door and he grabs her down starts pounding her head on the ground he's on top of her with his palm on her forehead just pounding her head onto the ground picked up a pen and threatened to poke her eyes out with it. And she was just screaming, please, please just let me leave. No, because you're going to tell someone. And then he choked her until she passed out. She continued to have really bad headaches even days after this. He wouldn't let her go to the hospital. There were other times where she either snuck to a hospital or she made it to a hospital and she had been diagnosed multiple times with a concussion. Now, these allegations are coming in hot from both sides, but only Angela had bruising. Only she had hospital visits. Only she had abuse that she had endured. Like, Richie really was just pulling stuff out of thin air. And I'm not discrediting his story, but I am because we find out later he's, you know, Richie. But, you know, she had all of these. She could back it up. She had all this evidence. She had photos. I mean, this doesn't make sense. Richie would go into the military and could tell all of the higher ups. I mean, I had to choke my wife out yesterday until she passed out because she kept clawing at me and she wouldn't stop. But nobody questioned the fact that he had not one scratch mark on his face or his arms. So what's happening? So eventually, eventually it didn't sit right with the military and they kicked him out. And even then, his high ranking officers wrote a letter to the court martial saying, I feel that the only thing he is guilty of is not getting himself out of a bad situation. I do not believe a word of Miss Angela Wilder's story. We have all said things taken out of context. There was no medical forensics showing the assault alleged. He does not deserve the federal conviction of his record for failing to flee from a manipulative, untrustworthy wife. You can find the whole letter in the book and it's just freaking nuts. Like what's going through these people's minds? So now that he's kicked out, they're divorced again. They're going through custody arrangements, custody battles. They finally decide, okay, each parent is going to have a week with the two children before switching. Angela was miserable in North Dakota. I mean, she's a single mom. The divorce proceedings are technically over, but the two of them would constantly drag each other back into the court trying to get full custody. So it was just nonstop, just money on top of money. Angela needed a support system, but the court refused her to leave North Dakota with the kids. Even for like a couple of days. She could only go by herself. And one of these trips that she went back to Alabama, she connects with her high school sweetheart, Christopher Jackson. And within a few months, she finds out that she's pregnant. 
And without even thinking about it, without hesitation, Christopher jumps up, mans up, moves straight to North Dakota where he knows nobody too, and starts being with her. He starts working that overnight shift at Walmart so that they don't have to pay for daycare. During the day, he's home while she's studying. And at night, he goes to work and she's with the kids. It just makes sense. Neither of them had friends in the area. They never really went anywhere without each other. They shared a car. They were really just working on creating this family together. She was trying to get her degree. Like he was rooting for her the whole time. Wow. I mean, this was their life. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, which is kind of crazy because I don't know if this podcast would have existed without BetterHelp. I was contemplating for so long. Will people even listen? Will people like it? What if it's lame? There's always something that's interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals. But with BetterHelp, they assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist that you can actually start communicating with in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy done securely online. I love the fact that I was able to talk to my counselor about any of these feelings that I feel or maybe I'm like uh, what if what if I'm just overthinking things you get a timely and thoughtful response plus you can schedule these weekly video or phone sessions that I love doing and you never have to sit in that uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy BetterHelp also has a broad range of expertise available which may not be locally available in many areas and the service is available for clients worldwide here's a plus that I didn't even think about from moving from the west coast to the east coast Post, I didn't have to look for another counselor. I didn't have to look for another therapist because everything was done online. And speaking of, BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. It's also more affordable than traditional offline therapy and financial aid is available. So BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted on a daily basis or visit betterhelp.com rotten. That's better H-E-L-P and join over the 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. So a special offer for Rotten Mango listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Rotten. And Angela's past relationship was causing a lot of tension. Angela and Chris, they fought a lot. But they were kind of cute. So after they would fight, they would sit on the couch and work through their differences. Or if it was a really bad fight, Angela would throw him out of the house and he would mope around in the garage for a few hours. And then slowly she would open the garage door and they would make up and eat dinner together. But Chris just didn't care because he had waited years to be with her. And he said that he had always known it was her and he refused to lose her again. And they get pregnant with their son. Now, he's two at this point, and she's pregnant again with their second child. I mean, he said that he would have done anything for her. And he really did a lot for her. He even put up with Richie. So every week when they do custody drop-offs, they were always in public places. But Angela would still be so shaken up after each one. Richie was that just nasty. It was the nastiest moment of the week. So Chris starts going with her, and he's much bigger than Richie physically. Mm -hmm. And Richie almost shrunk. I mean, there's not much he could do. And at first, Chris didn't get it. He's thinking at one point, you guys loved each other. Get it together. Be amicable for the kids. You guys are being petty. But when he saw Richie, according to the book, he said he always had this snarky smile behind all the crazy shit he did. He was something else. He was manipulative. 
So now the police are kind of finding out about this truth. You know, Richie's in their interrogation room. They're thinking, well, we got to search their house. We got to search their cars in the parking lot of the elementary school where Cindy, Richie's new wife, Mm -hmm. is teaching kindergarten class. Her car gets searched. They come up with a search warrant literally on the premises. Cindy's car. Yeah. They're searching Richie's car, too. But, you know, because Richie has access to her car and it was meticulously clean. But there was one thing out of place, a tiny little speck, a reddish brown substance on the passenger side door. So they swab it. Now, Richie's alibi was that he was home all night with Cindy. I was home with my wife, Cindy, all night with our children. Two of our children that I share with Angela. Well, then what's the scratch on the face? That's what the police are asking. Why do you have a scratch on your face? Oh, that's from my son. We were playing around, you know, and he pretends to be a tiger. When did it happen? Yesterday. Oh, tell us about it. So usually I get on my knees. No, no, no. Not usually. Tell us what happened yesterday. Oh, um. So generally speaking, I usually tackle him. No, no, no. Tell us what happened yesterday. So every time they keep trying to ask him, he keeps saying, usually what I do is, generally speaking, what I do is, typically. So he... Ah, because so, yeah. he, he can't just make up a f- fake story on the spot. Exactly. Like frame by frame. Because what if they ask his son? Right, okay. So they're, okay, this is weird. Listen, Richie, do you think you're a smart man? Um. Well, who do you think passed away, Richie? Because you read on Facebook there was a death at the residence. You're in here. <laughs> who do you think it was? Well, I'm guessing it's the... The little one or Angela. Now, the police were taken aback by this answer because they're wondering why couldn't it have been Christopher? Did he know who was home at the time? And how would he know? So they let him know it's Angela. And all he could say was, Oh, really? He didn't ask how, why, who did it? Was anyone else hurt? How is their child? Nothing. Is it someone who's after me? What about my kids? Are my p- kids in danger? Nothing. Didn't seem emotional. So they said, why are you not emotional? Like, what's going on? And he said, well, I work in the hospital. So it's a, it's a poker face. I'm a nurse. You got to have it every time someone passes away. Can um, you imagine saying that to a police officer? They see so much death and murder, too. Yeah. But they're not emotionless when the mother of their child is found murdered. What are you saying, Richie? But they have nothing that they can do, and they have to let him go. Now, the test results come back. The blood in Cindy's car is a match for Angela. They immediately arrest Richie for the murder of his ex-wife, Angela Wilder. And he didn't speak a single word. Now he refused to talk. Very different from his previous police interviews, he actually wouldn't talk to the police for another three months while he sat in prison. He lawyered up for three months, said nothing to the cops. And then finally his lawyer says, Richie wants to share his side of the story, but only if he gets a plea deal. The police were like, yeah, no, that's not happening. We've got DNA, so you can talk all you want, but you're not getting a plea deal. So he's like, okay, well, let's do it. So he sits down with the cops. Wait, 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 let's, no deal. He's still talking. Yeah, he's like, well, you got to hear my side of the story. It's going to clear my name. So he's talking to the cops. His lawyer's there during all of this, which I find astonishing because <laughs> I'm not a lawyer, but <laughs> even if I was in that room, I'd be like, whoa, 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 shut up, Richie. What are you saying? What are, what's going on? Okay. This is the Walmart story. Version one, Richie is the author. So he sits down and he says, okay, well, it all started 
with Angela taking the kids out of state for vacation. Okay, she's not allowed to do that because of our custody agreement. I have to approve and I never approve. But Chris came up to me and says, listen, you know how we can both get a win win? You get full custody of your kids and I get full custody of my two year old son and we can both rid ourselves of Angela. So I said, what are you talking about? So Chris showed me pictures of them taking the kids out without my consent across state lines. If I show that to the court, I mean, she's done for. But what do you need from me, Chris? And Chris says, I'll help you if you help me. Angela is cheating on me and I got to catch her in the act. And I'm going to take her to court for full custody of our two-year-old son. And Richie's like, listen, I'm not surprised to hear that she's cheating. She's always cheating. Did I mention she probably has borderline personality disorder? Does that make sense? Because if I didn't, I should probably mention it again. Without any proof or medical degree or facts, just whip it out. She probably has borderline personality disorder. Woohoo. So Chris is like, okay, well, here's a burner phone. Take it. Keep it on you at all times. And I'll call you. Be ready. So he takes the burner phone. And in November... He gets the call in the middle of the night. His wife is asleep and he's like, okay, well, I don't want to wake her up. Sneaks out. Takes her car. It's a lot quieter than his. Doesn't know what's in store, but probably sneaking into the house when Angela's having an affair. You know, that sounds like the plan. Picks up Chris at Walmart during his overnight shift. Drives back to Angela's place and they creep in in the middle of the night. It was dark. It's his first time in the house made his way into the bedroom behind Chris, and they burst in through the door. But it's a bust. Angela's alone. She's not cheating. So Richie's like, ah, well, this is awkward. Okay, well, I hope he still holds up his end of the deal. Let's get out of here. But for whatever reason, Chris is even more pissed. That's what Richie said. He's more pissed. And he's screaming, did you pretend to cheat on me so I would get jealous? And he starts grabbing her and shaking her, and he starts making this pumping motion. I, and there was just blood everywhere. And Angela is, this is what he says, is not the type to just, quote, roll over. She starts fighting back. Chris goes crazier and crazier, starts stabbing her more. And at the end of it, I finally, I mean, I was in shock the whole time. I was watching this. My ex-wife being stabbed to death by her current fiance. So I, I snap out of it and I run to her and I touch her neck to get a pulse to see if she's alive. And she reaches up thinking, I'm Chris and scratches my face. And I grab her hands and I say, it's me, it's me. And her last words, she looked at me and said, I love you. And she died. And I turned to Chris and I said, what the fuck are you doing, man? And I was about to run out and drive straight to the police. But Chris told me, if you tell anyone, I'll kill your wife and all your kids. And if you try to hurt me right now, come on, do it. I'm bigger than you. But do it. It's going to look bad. Your ex-wife is dead in the room right there. Me being assaulted in my own home. You're going to be the one responsible, not just for my assault, but for murder. Give me back the payphone. So Richie is like, oh my God. Fumbles in his pocket, gives back the burner phone. And Chris is like, well, you got to drive me back to work. And as they leave the side door, Chris is like, well, we better look at, make it look like a burglary. And kicks it open. All right, let's go. They get into the car and they drive back to Walmart. And he gets dropped off. And he drives home shaking. I tried to save Angela, but I couldn't. 
She told me that she loved me. What does it mean? He's thinking all these things. And the detectives the whole time, this is like two hours, by the way. <laughs> they're looking at him, just so concerned, worried for Richie. What a hero. Keep going. Tell us more. Tell us more. How did you try to save her? What did she say to you exactly? I love you. Like, what was the tone of voice? Man, she must have really freaking loved you. I mean, how evil is Christopher? Keep going. Keep going. And at the end, Richie's like, well, uh, I think that's it. Unless you guys have any more questions. Uh-huh. The police are like, well, <laughs> shoot. I mean, I guess we really only have just one. Is that, um, yeah, we, funny, we checked all the Walmart cameras and Chris never left that night. The whole night. Never left. I, just, I mean, we poured through every frame of every camera angle. And it's, it's, it's just confusing because you placed yourself at the crime scene. But there was no way that Chris was there with you. So <laughs> was it just you alone at the crime scene or what was, what was that about? Just wondering. And what was his response? No, he was there because I picked him up. Ah, that makes sense. Yeah. He was like a little magician evading the cameras. Did he have like an invisible cloak or something? Is that what was going on? Well, I I picked him up and that's what happened. Okay. All right. Well, take him back to jail. So the police get the footage from the school where the alleged masterful plan drop-off took place, right? Because Richie was like, yeah, he came up to me, gave me the burner phone, and was like, you're going to help me, and I'm going to help you, right? Uh They had cameras, too. They were only together for, like, three seconds before walking away in separate directions. They just said hello. That's it. And even though they ruled out Chris, he was at work, he didn't leave, he had passed a polygraph, they interviewed him one more time to make sure and he threw up at the police station. He had lost weight. He looked like a shell of a man. And they asked him, tell us why it's not possible. And according to the book, he said, because since the first time I touched her, it's always been Angela. And I finally got her back after all those years of trying to make it work. And he said that every time Angela and he broke up, he was broken, but she was still out there. Even if she was with another guy, she was still out there, which means that there was like a sliver of a chance that she would come back to him but now now it's gone she's not even out there and it's just like a piece of him was gone and the police just kind of knew i mean yeah it made sense his alibi was there of course but just like his response this man loved angela like angela was his world so then not too long after richie's story changed Yet again, this is the Walmart story updated version 2.0. So, uh, I lied. Instead of Chris at the house, I had been set up. I never picked up Chris at Walmart. I don't know why I said that. Instead, I drove straight to Angela's house when my phone rang, the burner phone. And I walked in because the side door was open. I went into her bedroom. I saw her laying there dead. And I walked up to her. And she scratched my face before she realized it was me. And I said, it's me, Richie. And that's when she said, I love you, and died. So that's that part, yeah, it's the same. But then two, two guys, they jump out of them, jump out of the closet. Two guys just jump out of the closet. One of them was black, and the other one was Hispanic. And like, as a white dude, I stand behind that, for sure. Yeah, it's pretty much like, yep, mm-hmm, this makes sense, right? You guys agree with me, right? Yeah, they were hired by Christopher to kill Angela. They were hitmen, and I was framed. They called me. To lure me to the crime scene so that they could frame me. And they said, if I ever say a word of it, they'll kill my wife. They'll kill my kids. They know where we live. They know everything about me. And I can identify one of them. Really? Richie? Who? His name is Paul. 
and he was in jail for drug-related charges. And like, I don't know what the probability of this. It's just such a kawinkadink. He's actually my cellmate. I know it's kind of crazy. He's my cellmate. His cellmate currently? Yeah, my current cellmate. <laughs> I know it sounds awfully convenient, but like, just bear with me, right? He's Hispanic, so it pit- fits perfectly into the story, doesn't it? This very racist story, it fits perfect. Anyway, so I, <laughs> I'm a psychology major. Um, I'm helping the rest of the inmates just like figure themselves out, admit to their wrongdoings. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm in jail awaiting a trial for the brutal murder of my ex-wife, but I'm trying to help these inmates find out their path and so my cellmate paul starts opening up and one day we're sitting there and he starts writing on a piece of paper i know why you're in here richie i'm like yeah paul it's on the news it's all over the news and he writes on the piece of paper no chris hired two men to murder angela they were offered fifty thousand dollars to split it they would never be caught because you were going to be framed for it richie And I was one of the men that did it. I killed Angela. But before Richie could even react, Paul grabs the piece of paper, his confession, shoves it down the toilet, and flushes it away. Oh my god, and that's when it hits Richie. This cellmate is the man that I saw that night killing Angela. So I decided to give him a questionnaire to fill out. First question, did you kill Angela Wilder? He answered yes. Did did Chris pay you to kill her? He answered yes. Did Chris want to frame Richie for the murder? He answered yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm dying at this. Did Chris end up paying you though? He answered no. Yeah, that sucks. Was there a black man with you that night? He answered yes. We got to find this anonymous criminal murdering black man. What the fork is going on here? This is... This is like textbook worst person alive. He's like a racist. He's a homophobe. What? He's a murderer. And on top of that, he's dumb. Yeah, he's so (laughs) dumb. He's so dumb. And at the top and bottom of each page of this questionnaire confession, Paul had signed his signature. But of course, police don't believe it's actually Paul's handwriting. So the police want to talk to Paul, who at this point had been bailed out of prison. So he's like a free man. They come up to him and he's like, what? What even? I've never seen this questionnaire. I've never signed anything like this. I don't even know Chris, Christopher, Christopher Jackson or whatever. No. Yeah, I wasn't in jail at the day of the murders, but I was with my girlfriend. And wh- what do you, what? I don't understand. Now, the police, they believe Paul. They don't believe Richie. But Richie wasn't done. He had found another guy in prison that was about to be released as long as Cindy helps him pay his bail. So Richie's wife is helping some random prisoner pay his bail. He's going to be released and he was going to fulfill a plan for Richie. Kill Paul, who's out of prison, and leave a suicide note that stated that Paul could not live with the shame and guilt of having murdered Angela. But this prison buddy, of course, wasn't really interested in that. Yeah. Was interested in getting bail. So once he got bail, he just kind of forked around. Never really had any intentions to kill Paul. And of course, the police were listening to all of Richie's jailhouse conversations that were on the phone because they're monitored, they're recorded. And to make matters worse, Richie didn't seem to care at all that he was in jail for murder and just conspired to commit another one. Because after his pretrial hearing, he had just seen Cindy for the first time in a while. He had called her from the prison phone and starts moaning 
into the phone. She kept telling him that she wanted to sit on his lap and that's why she wore tight pants to the pretrial hearing. And he said, and I quote, oh, I saw I was watching you up and down like a hawk. It was good. You look amazing. She said, well, I try to look good for you. You always look good for me. I'm going to savor it for a really long time. They had kissed in the courtroom, which was strictly prohibited. But on the phone, he kept telling her, her lips were so soft. And he's like moaning. And he said, they felt amazing. I can still taste you. I told everybody I'm never brushing my teeth again. I love you so much, baby. You're in prison for murder. I don't, we would never even talk to each other like this on an amazing day. Let alone a day that one of us is in prison for murder. I mean, it's got to be this way. Opposites attract. And what I mean by that is temperature wise. My fiance is the type of person who will start sweating while everyone else is wearing three layers of sweaters. I'm the type of person while everybody else is sweating. I'm putting on three more jackets. I just I get so cold easily. He gets hot in an instant and he gets agitated and not feeling thermally comfortable. It can really mess up the day. It can contribute to lost productivity, increased stress levels, quality of life, and it can just be mentally and physically exhausting. And back then I used to just think that Temperature was controlled by the environment. Turn up the AC, turn down the AC. And now with my Ember Wave smart wristband, it doesn't have to be that way, okay? So the wave works using thermal sensations to deliver a brand new category of safe, non-invasive, and natural solutions that leverages the body's response to temperature. It helps people control hot flashes, sleep better, and manage stressful moments and just live more comfortably. It's based on the science of how your brain and your body respond to temperature sensations. So you know that feeling where you run your hands through cold water it feels so nice after a hot day or maybe if you're cold you wrap your hands around a warm little drink or you soak in a hot bath that's what my ember wave feels like all i have to do is press a button on my ember wave smart wristband and i can either choose to create a cool or warm sensation on my wrist and i'm wearing it right now because it's like 69 degrees in here and i like to be a little bit warmer and it's not just me over 70,000 wave devices have been sold to date and wave users have logged more than 100 million minutes of warming and cooling with that number growing daily ember wave users report meaningful improvements after just one week of using ember wave and without any side effects so you can try ember wave risk-free for 30 days listeners can get 50 dollars off by going to emberwave.com slash rotten that's em brwave.com slash rotten Cindy would complain to him whatever evidence that they claim they have on you which is nothing I just don't understand why you're arrested like just because of how her body was like that says nothing about you I just don't understand how you're connected to that and he said I know it's really annoying it's uh, I mean, the police were amazed that she was sticking by his side because they had actually told Cindy everything. They sat Cindy down in the police station and told her, your husband is actively cheating on you. And we think that he murdered his ex-wife brutally. And it could have been you, honestly. Could have been you. Like, you know, women supporting women, none of that girl power, nothing. You're just going to stick by him. She's like, no, he would never cheat on me. They showed her text messages, sex that he was sending to other women, even showed her the pictures of the three women that he was having an affair with. And they told her, we're confused. We get it. It's your husband, but you're not really his type. You don't look like all these other three women. They've all got this long, dark hair, this short, blonde hair. These women look a lot more like Angela than they look like you. And she started screaming. I mean, they were trying to rile her up. 
He's not cheating on me with these women. They're fucking ugly. This is a kindergartner teacher just screaming. These women are freaking ugly. Wait, this is not at the school, right? No, okay, in the yeah. station. But okay. she was pulled out of the school to go to the station. Ah, uh, I see. And they're like, well, he is. We talked to them and they're all having sex with him. Well, then that's awesome. Congratulations for them. Oh, Listen, Cindy. What? <laughs> we're not trying to piss you off. Yeah, but I know it's not true. You're just trying to rattle me. They keep showing her more proof and she just starts screaming. They're freaking ugly. They're like, well, if one of them did get pregnant with his baby, Cindy, it's not because he was selling him his sperm. He didn't have to sell his sperm. He was giving it away for free for anyone, really. And still, she did not believe them. They offered to show videos of the women admitting to the affairs and she screamed at them. I don't want to see a video of them saying shit. I want to see a fucking video of them having sex with my husband. That's what I want. I don't believe you till I see that. They were shocked. To say the least. But Richie was still not done. So while awaiting his actual trial, Richie tries to chisel his way out of jail. He made a spear out of the wooden handle of a broomstick. The wooden part, right? The stick part. Attached a sharpened piece of metal at the end. And his inspiration was a movie called Shawshank Redemption. And he tied up bed sheets to climb down from the window. But he was caught in the act of chiseling away the window with his makeshift spear. And he pled guilty to Class C felony. So then the trial takes place. Now, the prosecution's team was a freaking beast of a DA. Um, her name was Kelly. She was passionate. She was a go-getter. I mean, she was a shark, an absolute freaking beast. And she was emotional during her opening statements. The jury felt her pain. They felt the enormity of this crime. Meanwhile, the defense, the attorney had a five-minute opening statement where he practically yelled at the jury and said, listen. If you're in shock and awe of evidence and you reach a point that you are no longer willing to listen, you are not doing the state or my client any favors. Don't just casually decide on guilt or innocence before you hear all the facts. Everyone was so confused. This makes you so unlikable. What's happening, defense attorney? The police were just even confused that this same defense attorney had sat through and let the client dig his holes into Walmart version one, Walmart version two stories. Because what kind of defense attorney would have allowed that? Yeah. So now he's just making it worse. Chris takes the stand. He gives a gut-wrenching testimony of his life, the night of the murder. And when the defense attorney tries to cross-examine him, I guess he thought he was doing a great job. But he was essentially bullying Chris into admitting that he didn't have a perfect relationship. And the jury was like, why are you bullying this poor man? Why are you doing this? Like, it was so clear to the jury that this was a normal couple in love. Yeah, they had mm -hmm. fights. Yeah, they said things that they didn't mean. Yeah, they threatened to break up with each other sometimes. But they always made up. Mm -hmm. And Chris loved Angela more than anything else. And it just made the defense just look like a massive bully. Then it got worse. I don't know what this attorney was thinking. So when it's time for the lead sergeant in charge of the crime scene to take the stand, he tries to undermine her, tried to make it seem like she didn't know what she's doing. But it had the opposite effect. And honestly, like when you read in the book, there's transcripts of it. Mm -hmm. It almost feels like he's just bullying her, trying to like put her down like a woman who doesn't know what she's doing in her job. Mm. Like, I was given very, like, misogynistic vibes from the transcript. Like, what's going on here? Then there's the DNA evidence. Why was Angela's blood inside their car? Why did Angela's fingernails, uh, dun da 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 have Richie's DNA under the nail bed? I mean, what? Now, the defense, they did not bring forward any experts, any witnesses. Nobody testified. They didn't even try to give a logical reason to the DNA evidence. 
They just said, why, after all these long years of hating and despising her and wanting her dead, why did he decide to do it now? Why not last year? That was pretty much their closing statement. He could have done it a year ago. Why now? So the jury deliberated for less than an hour. They came back to find Richie guilty. Wow. He did not show much emotion. Cindy would tell any press that would listen that he's a good man. He's a good husband. He would never do anything that would hurt his kids. And I stand by him. The judge then sentenced him to life in prison with no parole. He was only 30 years old. In 2015. Was the murder. The the trial was 2017. Oh, wow. He's still very young. Oh, yeah. 23, uh, 33? Yeah. 34? Now, the murder case of Angela Wilder was officially closed, but it would only be days before there was another arrest. A call came into the police department. Uh, so you guys know the guy that stabbed his wife to death a few years back? He was just sentenced. Oh, uh, Richie Wilder? Well, his wife, um, Cynthia Wilder, Cindy Wilder, I've known her for a while, and we've been reconnecting with, you know, the past couple of months about everything, and she keeps saying weird things to me, like hinting at me that she had something to do with the murder. So she sent me this message on Facebook and said, and I quote, they never found the knife or clothes or shoes or really anything. He just needed to keep his mouth shut. And I've kept so much inside for over a year. And I'm surrounded by people who are always asking me questions. And guess what I say? I say, I don't know. I wasn't there. So I messaged her back. Well, a knife is a really stupid way to kill someone. And Cindy wrote back. It wasn't supposed to be a knife. That was just the backup. But he got impatient. You're the only person I've ever said anything to. And it was through Facebook. Yes. <laughs> okay. And so they're like, who, what? How do you even know this girl? It was Matt. Remember? She loved Matt, the bartender. The bartender that robbed bars. Oh, and immediately after Richie was sentenced, guess who she's trying to crawl back into the arms of? Matt, the bartender. So the police are like, well, you got to be an informant. Okay. He was also interviewed for Dateline. It's uh, crazy. Um, you got to be an informant. Come on. Let me wire you up. Let's wire up your car. You got to get her to confess. Come on. Come on. You got to do it, please. So but he's like, how, okay. how do you charge her at that point? Conspiracy case- to commit murder. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, this guy's terrified. Matt is like, <laughs> I'm going to be alone with this girl. Like, this is, I'm terrified. She's just said that. A knife is a backup plan. What's going on? So they go on this fake date. And at first, Cindy is really guarded about the whole thing until Matt starts talking about how much he loves his car. I don't know how this conversation came up, but he's like, yeah, I freaking love my car. She's like, really? I don't even feel that way about my kids. Then why are you fighting for custody for Angela's kids? So she was fighting Angela's family on custody for Angela and Richie's kids. What? Yeah. Ridiculous. And she said, well, I'm attached to them. They're pretty much my kids anyway. Besides, they're glad that their mom is dead. She was physically and mentally and emotionally abusive. And she's like, I don't know. I'm just mad. I'm hateful. Towards who? I don't know. I'm just mad all the time and I don't know why. Are you mad at your husband? No, I'm proud of him. I'm just pissed that he got caught he got sloppy and he got impatient because we had this thing planned for like two fucking years we were just waiting like i helped him when he worked nights i would leave the house at midnight and i would sit outside her house in my car seeing who came to the house when her boyfriend left yeah we fucking had this planned out and he fucked it up they freaking stalked her for two, two years. years 
well, how did he fuck it up? He didn't clean the car good enough. One fucking spot of blood in my car. I helped him clean it up. And he left again to like dispose of the clothing and the weapon and everything. And I guess that's how the blood got on there. And I thought we were in the clear. And then she went on this whole tangent about how the cops had taken her car and then devalued it by like ripping out the carpets of it by like $9,000. And she said, I don't know the words to describe me. I'm a mom. I'm a school teacher, but I'm very like no feelings, no emotions. Like when the cops came to my school and questioned me and told me that she was dead, I was like, okay. You could honestly tell me that my grandpa is dead and I would react the same way. Like people die all the time. I really don't care. She was stabbed 44 times. Yeah, I don't fucking care. Are the kids better off? I fully believe it. A hundred percent. I just wish Richie would have flown down to Florida and killed her mom too. Killed Angela's mom because they were in a custody battle now. The whole time she only referred to Angela as Richie's ex-wife, that bitch, that psycho bitch, or that psycho. Even after death. In a sick, twisted fashion, the only time she complimented Angela was on one thing. She did put up a good fight, though. When Matt brought up the DNA under her nails is what got Richie, right? Mm -hmm. Richie's DNA under her nails. And she said, leaving his DNA under her fingernails, if that was me, I fucking would have gone back and cut her fucking fingers off. I would have burned them. I would have lit the house on fire. This woman is dangerous. And she was a kindergarten teacher. Yeah, she's so dangerous. And if you look at pictures of her, I mean, she looks like a kindergarten teacher. I like if I had a kid in her kindergarten class, I'd be walking out of there like an idiot. Like, oh, I'm so excited for my kids. But she obviously doesn't act any of that in school. Thankfully, but but not thankfully. That's dangerous. That is dangerous. Because imagine what if like a kid pissed her off. I don't know what this woman's capable of. Yeah. So just like that, she confessed. The same reason she was so pissed off at Richie for running his mouth. Guess what she does? Runs her mouth. They're both idiots, okay? She confesses. 15 days after Richie's trial, she was arrested for conspiracy to commit murder as and as an accomplice to murder. And when she was arrested, she wasn't like, oh my God, I'm innocent. She just told the police it was Matt, wasn't it? He's a fucking asshole. Yeah. Just bizarre. The most bizarre woman ever. I don't even know what to say. So she pled an Alfred plea and her trial would be determined by a judge and not a jury. And she was confident. She thought she had it in the bag. Do you know how much she thought she had it in the bag? The prosecutors offered her a plea deal of 25 years and she rejected it. She turned it down. And the judge threw the whole book and another book and the whole encyclopedia at her and sentenced her to life in prison, no possibility of parole. (laughs) On top of that, they gave a very scathing speech. It's in the book, but it's scathing. Like, you have no rights to Angela's children whatsoever because don't be confused. They are Angela's children, not yours. And Cindy just rolled her eyes the whole time. She freaking rolled her eyes the whole time. The belief is that Cindy didn't just conspire with her husband, right? Because why did the blood end up on the passenger side? Mm. Maybe she was allegedly the driving. Yes. Just doesn't make sense. Yes. And I think uh, it's all back in the news right now because September 1st of 2021, she was denied a trial for her conspiracy to commit murder. So she was trying to get like a trial with a jury and everything. But the court was like, yeah, no, (laughs) we're good. So just like that, life in prison. I don't, I've never, I don't think I've met a person like this. 
Because sometimes when I see these, obviously on a much smaller scale, I'm like, oh, you know, this person, I feel like I've kind of met these types of people where they either hold a grudge or maybe they're a little bit too, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I've never really met a person like this, thankfully. I don't even know what type of personality this would be. Just evil? Unfiltered evil? But oddly, lack of love. Her obsession with Richie and Matt... Oh, yeah, it's weird. You see that? Like, Mm -hmm. maybe related to the mom. The mom never paid attention Mm -hmm. to her. You know, she did try to... So the author actually interviewed her and wrote letters with her. But Cindy told the author of this book that she wrote a bunch of letters to Richie. And his prison won't accept it. But she's saving them. So it seems like she still has a lot of love for Richie, which is bizarre. I don't feel bad for her. I do think that Richie is definitely the mastermind. Do I think that she should get less time? No. (laughs) I think there's a lot of people in prison we could be fighting for justice to let them out or maybe innocent people. She's not someone that you'll ever see me posting on Instagram. Like, come on, guys, let's sign a petition. Yeah. And and the fact that she's dealing with child on a daily basis. Yes. Terrifying. Come on. Can you imagine that if that's our kid's teacher? Yeah. I mean, can you imagine the trauma of the kids, but also the parents? Because maybe kindergarten, you're too young. Maybe the parents can shield you from the news. I feel like if it was high school, they would know. Mm-hmm. But maybe kindergartners, they wouldn't know. But the parents. Yeah, but it's dangerous. Yeah. I mean, you would just have so much anxiety sending your kid to any school, any daycare. Lesson of the day. I guess we really don't know what our teachers do on their off time. Or what the podcasters be doing. I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you guys enjoyed this week's main episode. And I will see you guys on Sunday for the mini-sode. Bye.